You're listening to Around the King's Table, a podcast of the Mount Church in Clemson, South Carolina, with Pastor George Marshall and Pastor Brian Mann. Pull up a chair and listen in as they seek to serve up biblical dialogue for building disciples of Jesus. Well, welcome to this episode of Around the King's Table. I'm Brian. And I'm George. And with us today, we have Johnny Touche. Johnny Touche. What a great last name. Indeed. Uh, thanks for being with us, brother. Uh, there is some special privilege in it for me because of how prominent you were in the years leading up to my attending seminary and entering vocational ministry. I don't know if you remember all the way back then, uh, but I've always known you to be a word-centered man before being word-centered began to be rediscovered to some degree. And thankfully, in the church today, I've always considered you a trustworthy source of biblical truth and maybe even more distinctly of pastoral wisdom and care. And uh, no doubt, God has developed that in you over more than a couple of decades now, right, of gospel ministry that's included domestic pastoral ministry uh, with a large focus on biblical counseling, as well as serving as a trustee for the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And now at a ripe old age, it's a ripe old age, <laughs> leaving, leaving the States to serve the Lord as a trainer of pastors and church planter in Uganda. So we want to talk with you for just a bit uh, this afternoon about the journey, the journey of ministry, enduring ministry. Uh, So if you could, brother, uh, just tell us about your conversion to Christ and a little bit about you, how you came to enter his ministry. Well, brother, thank you so much for inviting me here. I had... um, was raised Roman Catholic mm-hmm. at the age of 15. I had an old guy come by and invite me on yeah. a bus to church. And yeah. um, he asked me, did you go to church? I said, no, it was Calvary Baptist Church. He said, we got a lot of pretty girls. I said, I'll go once then. <laughs> and so I went once. They had a lot of pretty girls. I kept going back every week, riding the bus. After about eight months, I had an experience at Ridgecrest, hmm. uh, but it wasn't a conversion, though I thought it was because okay. I mm-hmm. didn't. I was just learning, and um, you know, and I, I, you know, changed a little bit for a short period of time. But the reality is, I went back to even worse than I was before. Yeah. And I would try to do good uh, as I, you know, as I looked at my life. I was even a Sunday school teacher for youth when I was in my twenties, hmm. and just different things that I tried to, you know, help people. I was a good person in the sense of a worldly mm-hmm. good person. Right. And um, and so uh, about the age of 30, I had a young guy. We had been part of a church, brand new church plant. We brought in a young guy uh, to be the pastor. He was 27. He was a doctor student at New Orleans Baptist Seminary. Mm-hmm. And he was a faithful expositor of the Word. And so it was my first time being underneath expository preaching. Hmm. Uh, in addition to that, uh, for whatever reason, God moved in his heart to like me. And he came to visit me one day. And, <laughs> You're very likable. Yeah. And he said, yeah. hey, he said, hey, you know, has anybody ever disciple you? Yeah. I said, what is that? I've never <laughs> heard of that. 
He said, well, we just read the Bible together. We'll go walk on the track and talk about what we read. I'll give you a few sermons to listen to, give you a book to read. At that time, I had never read a book, to be honest with you. (laughs) And so so we did. We started reading the Bible. I had my big King James. I could choke a cow. It was huge and uh, uh, with large print. And so I was reading that. And um, we just walked together. He would share with me what the passage meant. Um, he gave me John MacArthur's The Gospel According to Jesus, mm. rocked my world. Mm. And uh, as I read through that, that was my first Christian book I read. It was one of the first that I read as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this, you know, this is 1993. Yeah. And so God used that book to really um, open up my heart and through uh, mm. having bad theology, Back then, you know, uh, as just part of where I was at, I uh, I was taking a continued witness training program, and I wrote down my testimony. I said, at the age of 16, I took Jesus as Savior, but at the age of 30, I took him as Lord. <laughs> but um, it's interesting. I'll tell you that in a moment. Uh, but what happened after that is what really helped me to realize years later I'd got to say because I wrote I said I don't know what has happened to me mm. but I love Jesus yeah. like I never loved him before mm, yeah. and I love other people like I've never loved him before yeah. yeah so here I am 50 years old been a pastor at that time 18 years because at the age of 32 I went into the ministry two mm-hmm. years later and so I'm at 50, I'm at pastor in the church, uh, Mount Moriah Baptist Church. I pull out that book just to get a few details out of it because I was using another friend's evangelism material. But I had a couple of things stir in my mind. I went back and I looked at the testimony. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> so then my, my associate pastor, Jeff Jowers, yep. he came in and I said, Jeff, I said, I'm counseling this guy. This is what he wrote. What do you think? He read it. He said, that dude got saved at 30. I said, yeah, I agree with you. That's me, by the way. He said, what? I said, yeah. I said, I'm getting baptized next month. So next month I got baptized, wind up about 15 other people in our church that we had realized they came to Christ after their baptism experience got baptized with me. So we wind up having about 20. So you were 50 and had been pastoring 18 years. At Mount Moriah? Well, well no, 14 years at, at Mount Moriah. At, right? Yeah, I, I was at Mount Moriah for 14 years, but at that time it had been about nine years. Yeah. I'd been pastoring Mount hmm. Moriah. So, and, um, and came yeah. to that conclusion when I read my own testimony from back then hmm. that I realized, but I grew in my theology and understanding. And, hmm. you know, um, I don't think I knew that. Yeah, that was a great gift from the Lord. Had a wonderful time. Had a lot of brothers and sisters who had came to Christ sitting underneath the preaching ministry, hmm. realized they'd gotten saved but never got baptized. They wanted to be baptized with me. So it was it was a wonderful experience. I didn't put pressure on anybody. You know, I just say, hey, I'm getting baptized. This is why. Hmm. And a lot of other people just kind of said, hey, you know, that, that happened to me too. You know, yeah. and so... Uh, I don't baptize people twice if they've been saved, you know, because a lot of times people want to get just rebaptized, and I don't encourage that. Uh, now I'm not going to turn them away, but I just tell them there's no need for it. But if you wasn't, you know, if you know you were saved after you were baptized, mm. then you might fall in believer's baptism. 
Yeah. So, anyway. Now, and to clarify for everyone listening, you may be detecting an accent. Where are you from exactly? Uh, I'm from New Orleans. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll hear that accent. Uh, <laughs> used to be a lot worse when I first moved to South Carolina, but they've trained me here and helped okay. me do a lot better job on that. So, <laughs> yeah. And, um, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I've been um, a Christian about 30 years now, uh, coming up on it. And I've been in the ministry 28 years. Uh, Matter of fact, it was this week I went into the, I got ordained into the ministry. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, 28 years ago. So, yeah. Well, now, you know, a few things that stick out to me about uh, just the, the, the testimony there is so I'm not sure that I knew that you were converted when you were 30. Um, so you were older. I mean, a lot of the folks that we deal with, even myself, I feel like sometimes, um, I was older. I came to Christ as an older person, but I was 18. Mm. I mean, a lot of folks that we talked to, we did our membership interviews and whatnot. It was, you know, much, much younger, much younger. when they yeah. come to faith in Christ. So I feel older, you know, when I say, well, I, I was born again when I was 18, but you were 30. Right. Yeah. Mm. I was a store manager for like at a bilo down in Louisiana, it was called uh, That Stanley National Food Store. I've been with them 16 years. Yeah. And um, was one of their top store managers by their own testimony. They gave me awards and whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, my God was money and prestige. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when the Lord saved me, uh, one of my bosses, like, like three months before I left, he came in and this lady walked in. Now, you have to realize this guy's like vice president running the whole chain. And uh, he's the one that promoted me to, to mm -hmm. store manager. And um, he was always very proud of me. And uh, he's Catholic. Nice mm -hmm. guy, though. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, he, uh, this lady came in and she said, Mr. Touche. Now, I don't even know this lady, but God was so working in my life that everybody in the community knew I was a Christian and they would come to me to pray for them because hmm. I, I, I had this, just this gift from the Lord that when I prayed for stuff, God moved people's lives. And so this, this older lady came in pushing a buggy. She said, Mr. Touche, she said, could you, could you pray for me, please? So I, I'm with my boss. I said, Hey boss, give me a minute. I pull her in the side office. I pray for her. He's like, what in the world? We've got people coming off the street asking him to pray for her. And um, <laughs> wind up, that guy got fired like a week later. But mm. that day he called my boss, my immediate boss. He said, I don't know if Touche could be a store manager for us anymore. He said, he he, he, he told me to become a Christian. Yeah. You know, I got people coming off the street asking him to pray. Mm. But he was always so kind to me. And um, so my boss came and talked to me. And uh, what, he was a Methodist. And um, and so we wind up, both those guys got fired the next week. And um, both of them had like 30 years with the company. It was one of those, they call it a scale back. All the people making real money get fired. <laughs> so <laughs> they got fired. And um, that guy, uh, I called him and told him how much I appreciated him, mm -hmm. you know, and how sorry I was for him and his family hmm. and that I would pray for them. And uh, his own testimony is uh, we had a mutual friend and this mutual friend told me, he said, the boss said only one store manager called him out of all the people that promoted him. 
And, he, and she said, and he said he felt bad because he had bad-mouthed that store manager the week before. And, uh, but I always loved the guy. He was a great guy. Three months later, I left to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. I didn't know at that time I was going, but the Lord opened the doors and mm-hmm. I left. And um, left the, I left a job making the most money I ever made in my life to go to a job making the less money I ever made in my life at the seminary. There you go. Uh, and yet God provided yeah, sure. Every single time. Yeah. So. Well, great. Yeah. So, so you pastored near to us, nearby, uh, for about fourteen years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're currently serving in Uganda as a trainer of pastors and a church planter, right? So, could you give us just a few of the main lessons you've learned and seek to pass along about pastoral ministry? Again, you've done that both here. You're doing that now yeah. in Uganda. So, just just some main lessons. Well. Um, what, what I have learned here, and, and I do have the benefit, I'm uh, 60 years old now. I've been removed from Mount Moriah over f- five years, going on six. And so I get a chance to look back at what I did at Mount Moriah. And there was some good things. I mean, if you go there, they all... It's like the pastor that's there right now told me. He said, you know, you're like a folk Michael hero. Schaffern. Yeah. Mm. He said, you're like a folk hero here. You know, everybody loves you. I said, it wasn't like that when I was there. <laughs> anyway, and, uh, you know. Um, Absence uh, makes the heart go fine. It, is, yeah, <laughs> it just is what it is. And uh, But I, I love the people. I, I didn't really aspire, uh, aspire to be the best preacher, though I did work hard on my preaching for the benefit of the people. I didn't aspire to be the most popular person around. Mm-hmm. My only aspiration mm-hmm. as a pastor was to love all people, mm-hmm. bring them God's word, let them know that I love them, be there for them. That was my heart. Mm-hmm. And um, and so like today, I did a funeral with Michael and Paul Dean, my pastor. Right. So I got I came two. came here directly from Yeah, from the funeral. And yeah. so those, those two guys are gifted orators, you know, and sure. so I'm not either one of them. Uh, hmm. But the people at Mount Moriah would tell you I loved it, hmm. and to me, that's a pretty that good was that was my mm-hmm. uh, that's what I strive for. Mm-hmm. So I think the word is that I, how you train the pastors, like the the guys that you're working with right now in Uganda. Is yeah. that like the main? Yeah. Well, I, I I probably put a little more emphasis on preaching in Uganda than I did here because hmm. most everybody here is seminary trained. Yeah. So they learn how to preach in the seminary. They don't learn how to love in the seminary. Mm-hmm. And so I put most of my emphasis training here on that when I'm training pastors or when I'm talking to people that are going to the mission field. Right. You know, we all got to get trained. Right. That's just something that has to happen. You right. know, if you're going to honor the Lord in your work, you know, I tell people whatever the Lord's putting on your heart in a sense. Yeah. You, you long to do for the Lord's glory, get the education that matches. You want to be a professor at the seminary? You got to get a PhD. If you want to be just a pastor, AMD is good, or go get a DMIN. If you, you know, if you're going to be a, you know, working with folks because, you know, you're very hands on or whatever, and you only need a BA, well, that, that's okay. Get the education you need to do what God is leading you to do. Now, He may change your direction. Hmm. I'm counting on you to get the education you need. And in that education circles, they're going to teach you how to preach, 
I don't know, Southern Baptist Church, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, if you go to the right places. Hopefully. That's right. Yeah, hopefully they'll do that. Where What I find is that most people, and this, Brian, um, yeah, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm, I'm just telling you observation. Mm-hmm. All churches, are, they gear people towards training them for their giftedness, but they're not building character. Mm-hmm. And so this is our problem. We got people who are becoming pastors who mm. know how to preach, know theology, yeah, uh, in a sense of intellectually, but it hasn't played out in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so, so you have a lack of character yeah. uh, in the U.S. church. Same thing in the Ugandan church. The difference is in the Ugandan church, most people have not been trained in seminaries. Very few. Right. And so like in all network, we're striving to find people who've been to seminary, even though they may not been to the best one or to a Bible school, that we can build on that or we're not yeah. starting from ground zero. Right. You know, and yeah. so that's what we're doing right now. We place a lot of emphasis on character, mm. a lot of emphasis on like. The, the self-confrontation book where you're learning practical theology, how to live through these things. Yeah. Because what you have in Uganda is you have a, a immature church. Their own testimony, my leaders, is that the African religion is a mile long and a half an inch deep. And, you know, and so what we're trying to do is raise the standards. Mm-hmm. So like all churches, all network there is called Christ Mission Church Network. All churches put an emphasis on expository preaching. Well, that is so different than 99% of the churches outside of Kapala. Now, you have a few people in Kapala that are preaching expository. But when you get out of Kapala in these villages... I mean, right. you have the gospel, prosperity gospel is kind of ruling the place. Mm-hmm. They don't want to preach expository. They're, I mean, they're, I mean, just to be honest with you, they're, they're false teachers. So, mm-hmm. you know, I preach this sermon numerous times. I always get a lot of, like at the church where I pastor in Uganda, I, I, I planted three churches in Uganda. Every place I preach, I would tell them about the false teachers. Three, you know, they're gonna they're gonna want your money, they're gonna want your women, they're gonna want your power. They want you to bow down to them. And this is how you know they're false teachers from Peter. And I can't tell you how many women came up to me after saying, Pastor, we'd never heard that before, but you nailed it. That is exactly what these false teachers are doing. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, you know, there I put a lot of emphasis on the nine marks of a healthy church. Yeah. So every time we gather with the men to train them, we're, we're doing one of the marks of multiple marks. So yeah. like I'm going in January, we're going to cover all nine marks. We're not going to be able to go really super deep. It's going to be our teaching on each one and then a 30-minute panel discussion mm-hmm. with the three pastors that are yeah. coming with me. But... You have to realize I've been doing this for five years. So all these guys have heard the nine marks. I'm hoping that it's a refresher course for them. And a few that we're bringing in that are new, that they're going to get exposed to it. And then the others can follow up teaching them and encouraging. Yeah. That echoes a lot of what we heard from Dave last week. Yeah. Um, And then 
makes me think of you know T4G this this past mm-hmm. one where you know one of the books we got at T4G No Shortcut to Success uh, one of his major points is contending for uh, people to actually get the right training that they need before going not to treat it as just something the Lord will Don't just show up when people. I get there well yeah. that was that was the next thing so yeah. first train for what you're actually intending to do. Don't yeah. think you can bypass means. Right. But then secondarily, don't send us people. If it doesn't hurt as you're ascending church, if it doesn't hurt, you're sending people who are qualified, <laughs> biblically qualified, yeah. then you're probably doing something wrong. We're, Please don't we're send good them. with you going. Please don't send you them. Go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the mission field doesn't need that. They need yeah. people who are don't send that have people. that character as well. Yeah. yeah. Not just training. Yeah. The guy, like guy's last name was Singh, right? S-I-N-G-H. Yeah. And yeah. he was saying, yeah, don't send us people who don't know the word of God. Right. You know. Yeah, so the, the mission field is not your place to learn your theology. <laughs> right, right. You you better have it nailed down because yeah. when you hit the ground... Or ecclesiology. Yeah. yeah or God may be very yeah. graceful to work in the midst of right. it. You didn't, right. but if you can do it beforehand, do it beforehand. Now, yeah. I didn't plan... You know, I planned on going to the mission field when I was 65. Yeah. At the age of 52, though, a friend of mine, he was 53. He was a preacher. He preached on Wednesday night. On Thursday, he died of a massive heart attack. I went to his funeral. I can't tell you what the pastor said, but as if God was just speaking to me, what makes you think I'm going to let you live to be 65? Mm. And so I came home from that funeral and told my wife, I said, hey, I'm not waiting until I'm 65 to go to the mission field. We started to pray. Three months later, I got invited to go to Uganda. And then three years later is when I actually left. You know, uh, if God's calling you to do something, whether it's a pastorate or missionary or whatever God's calling you to do, he's never going to call you and not your wife. Mm. So my wife was not ready to go. I just, you know, I told my elders in the next three to five years, I'm probably going to be going. I expect to go, uh, but I'm waiting on my wife. So she went with me on a mission trip the next year, 2015. She went 2016 and made a decision where she was ready to go. So we left in 2017. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're skipping ahead. (laughs) <laughs> we're, that we're jumping sorry yeah you're sorry. good no that's great now um in my estimation you've been fairly well known as a biblical counselor all the way back to when it wasn't as mainstream as it seems to be a little bit more now uh how did that come to be such a significant need in an aspect of your pastoral ministry biblical counseling well um i went to new orleans seminary yep. back in 94 mm-hmm. um they are psychology based, um, secular psychology based. Okay. A few little verses thrown in here or there. Still today? Still today. Huh. In New Orleans. Really? Yeah. And so, like, give you an example, you can get a license for counseling with the state by getting a degree at New Orleans Seminary. Okay. And so they're based, they're not biblical counselors. Um, there was a church, First Baptist Slidell, that Sig Galloway was at. And I went. Uh, this is what happened. I took, you had to, I was going for my BA. You had to take psychology. And the opening statement, and the professor is a nice guy. I love him to the day, but he's a psychologist, you know, and, and a preacher. He said, preacher boys, what are y'all going to do when somebody's got a problem? Give them a couple of Bible verses and tell them you're going to pray for them. Now, I have to be honest with you, I, I was a little bit aggravated with him <laughs> because I knew what he said wasn't right. But I didn't have any training yet. I, I mean, I'd only yeah. been at seminary like two days, three days when he <laughs> said this thing. So one of the things that we had 
as a topic for discussion that you could write a paper on was biblical counseling. Mm. So I started researching it. Yeah. Found out about Sid Galloway, went over and interviewed him, read MacArthur's book on biblical counseling, him and mm. Mac. Found out that they had this big biblical counseling movement, yeah. but the SBC was not involved. See, at this time, none of the seminaries, they were all integrationists, Southern, Southeastern, mm. everybody. Mm. So this is 94. So I, I, I mentor on this Sid, learn how to counsel you know, his high emphasis on the Word of God went with me because that's where I was at. Yeah. I actually yeah. made a transition from um, uh, King James Version to New King James, then to NASB, now I'm ESV. Uh, so, you know, I was We've learning. been talking a lot about translations yeah, recently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, I, and, I, and I, I was learning a lot. Yeah. I took Latin. That's really what kind of changed my mind about languages and translations and um, learn some things in that. But in, in the process, uh, I had a professor at New Orleans Baptist Seminary tell me, he said, Johnny, I love you. You're a godly man. You walk with the Lord. You need to quit talking about biblical counseling here. He said, you're, you're, he said, you're a Calvinist. You're already blackballed. He said, <laughs> but he said, he said, Johnny, you, you're gonna suffer terribly for this biblical counseling because nobody believes in biblical counseling here. Nobody. But it's interesting that he would be like, you're a godly man, you walk with the Lord, but you need to stop on the biblical counseling stuff. Yeah. Like what, right. what he was never underneath told me to, the... Not yeah. connected yeah. in any way. Yeah. He right. never told me to stop right. being a Calvinist because he, he wasn't a Calvinist. <laughs> you there many, the biblical counseling. Yeah, there wasn't many of us yeah. around, to be honest with you. Yeah, uh, sure. Back then, there was like 20 Calvinists in the whole seminary. The, the head <laughs> of the dean told us we know each and every one of you. Called us into a meeting, meeting of 20 of us. So we're watching each and every one of you. This is 1995. And um, Dr. Moeller had just, just started at Southern, started at yeah. Southern the mm -hmm. year before. And so anyway, wind <laughs> up. Um, and you know, I, brother, this is where I talk about looking back. I could have been a lot. I needed time to grow and mature. Yeah. I was learning so much. I just didn't realize I'd only been saved a short period of time. So I'm learning mm. and growing. I'm like a big sponge eating up everything, yeah. but I'm not mature enough yet. Now I'm a youth pastor at a church mm. and I'm doing a good job. People getting saved in lives, but I'm not mature enough. Um, me and my pastor who baptized me and married me got into a few words about Calvinism and evangelism and different things. And I love that man to today. He's with the Lord now, but, um, he was a faithful shepherd, hmm. godly man. Yeah. And um, but I, I learned, and then in '98, um, I had finished up my training. I'm sorry, in '97, I finished up my training with the biblical counseling. I was certified with the International Association of Biblical Counselors. So then I moved here to go to Mount Pisgah with Paul Dean and right. open up a biblical counseling center. Right. And that's how we really. Yeah kind of cross paths a little bit. I had not yet gone to seminary, but was interested in, I think, I, I don't know how I heard that y'all were doing a biblical counseling class. It was, it was in an, uh, an evening, right? And during, right. during the week, I can't, yeah, can exactly remember, but I mean, it's been about 15 years or so now, but um, that's how we really initially crossed paths was in the biblical counseling right. class. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and so what happened was, even though I, 
I still, like today, if it was me and I was pastor, I wouldn't have Johnny Touche be my, one of my staff members <laughs> yet. And I was growing, but yeah. God used me there and um, to train some people in biblical counseling. Sure. Um, I trained underneath Jay Adams, too. Okay. And so, I mean, um, he was a big influence in my yeah, life. Sure. And, um, and of course, you know, Wayne Mack, John MacArthur, anybody that was a Bible scholar, I was eating up their stuff. And then I was using it in counseling. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that, that first year at Mount Pisgah, we saw like 19 people save in the biblical counseling room. Probably oh, wow. 65 people joined the church through the mm-hmm. biblical counseling. Mm-hmm. So it's still a great outreach. And, um, and then later on, mm-hmm. Uh, just um, in 99 we moved my pastor moved to a church and I went with his associate pastor you know like six months later and we were doing some counseling things but I took my pastor Jay Adams Mm -hmm. Jay Adams had never met Al Moore I took him Jay Adams Sid Galloway Sam Williams who's at Southeastern um trying to think I think it was one more person but I can't remember because we're talking about 1999 I brought them <laughs> to Southern to do a seminar doctor I, I arranged for a meeting for Dr. Moeller to meet Dr. Adams and that Jay Adams went in and sat with him for 45 minutes mm-hmm. and he told us later he said that young man understands biblical counseling he said he's got a lot of other fights but he's going to he's going to change it here and I think it was five years later they scrapped the whole psychology department and brought in Stuart Scott. Stuart Scott. Place. Yeah. I'd say that Stuart, the, the, the biblical counseling curriculum that I've already taken there has been wonderful. It was really good. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Is Eric Johnson still at? No. I don't, he's, 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 no, he, Dr. Johnson um, had to retire. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he, he wind up. See, this is, this is where the struggles come in. Dr. Johnson is an integrationist, but he leaned towards biblical counseling more than he did integration, but he's still integrated. And so you had all these other people come in like Dr. Scott, Dr. Heath Lambert got his PhD, some other people that are there even today all came up, got their PhDs. They all had some complaints about Dr. Johnson, but Dr. Mola loved him. Mm -hmm. He's such a godly man. And, and you know, brother, this is the thing. I, I know Dr. Moeller is committed to biblical counseling. He scrapped a whole program. Mm-hmm. But brother, if you can't love Eric Johnson, something's wrong with you. Mm, sure. You know, the guy, theologically, mm. is just tremendous. And, mm-hmm. and he did use biblical counseling, but there was that, that section. And so right. what happened was Dr. Johnson came out with a book. Right. That he wrote that he was clearly integrationist. And there was no way to protect them anymore. When you say integrationist, you mean? Taking some of psychology. Now, listen, there are things about psychology, like to give give you an instance, like health development, Mm -hmm. you know, age development, those type of things. There are things we can learn from psychology that helps us as biblical counselors. But, But when you start to pull from fraud or junk or... Rogers or these others and you try to incorporate it into a Christianity view it doesn't work yeah. because they're coming 
they're coming they're out. They're polar of, opposite yeah. worldviews. Yeah, they're different, coming different from different source. Who, what a human is and what God's right. relationship to that human, if there is a God. Right. In there. That that yeah. whole yeah. thing. And so, you know, you yeah. you know, a lot of people they say, Well, we take the best of that and integrated it into the biblical counseling. Yeah. Well, this is a problem. You corrupt the biblical counseling when you're integrating those type of things. Now yeah. listen, I have lots of friends who are psychologists, Christians, love the Lord. I may not agree on this, but I, I, they're dear brothers and sisters in the yeah, Lord. Sure. Their heart is right. They want to help people. We just disagree on this part. But I, I respect them and love them. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a level you can go in correcting like the body if it's you know maladjusted. Oh, but but well, there's a know, point. It's it's the C.S. Lewis. You know, there's a point that you know. Yeah, you you hear the per- person. You heal the person of fear. Now they're able to make a solidly sound judgment and. Because they lack courage, they run the other way, kind of thing. So you've you fixed one problem, a psychological problem, but you may not have fixed the heart problem. And right. ultimately, biblical counseling says we can kind of actually work on both yeah. by focusing on at the Word of God first. Yeah, yeah. And I used to work with some medical doctors, and so yeah. I'm all for yeah. medical help because sometimes it is medical help. Yeah. But a lot of times it's it's um, like depression. Mm-hmm. It's brought on because. Maybe you've sinned. Maybe somebody has sinned against you and you haven't responded, uh, you know, or maybe you don't know how to respond to it. You know, you got the circumstances of life like today. Here's a 43-year-old woman with two little kids. Her husband dies, you know. Yeah, they may have both. You may have both a, a psychology issue or a body issue. You may have a actual biblical maturity issue, mm. but you can fix with medicine potentially and cover up a sin problem. You want to actually correct the sin problem. That's that's right. Important. Well, thanks, Johnny. We're probably going to have to cut the conversation a little short. And what I'm going to suggest we do, we'll pick this conversation back up again, um, so that you can continue to talk. Um, about what we've been discussing.